Thank you for being here today on this July weekend. We got lots of folks on vacation, um, and yet it seems like people are coming back. We have more and more that are in attendance. Our first service was, uh, was, was packed. Uh, I, I told them, this is not a normal, traditional Methodist church. I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, we are a church that prays. We are a church that, uh, that celebrates the work of the Holy Spirit. We are a church that uh, is biblically based. We are a church that uh, has a personality and a, a DNA that is not only community-oriented but global. We are a church that emphasizes people growing in their faith. And typically... Methodist churches, when it rains, people don't come to church. And when I got to church this morning, it rained, I thought, oh, man, nobody's going to show up. But we did. (laughs) All right. Parable of the sower. Looking at the parable of the sower and the four soils. Um, My grandmother was an incredible woman. A woman of faith, a woman uh, devoted. When I was a toddler, her life circumstances were such that she needed to move in with us. Um, she needed a place to live. A- at the time, it worked for us as well as her. My mother was pregnant with my sister. It was a difficult pregnancy. She needed help. And so we needed her as much as she needed us. After uh, my sister was born and we kind of worked through my mother's recovery, the decision was made that my grandmother would be a permanent part of our family. She moved in permanently with us. As a result, I had two mothers. I didn't know any different, you know. My mother and father worked. My grandmother stayed home. Uh, it It was incredible. And she was a woman of unconditional love, but... In spite of the unconditional love that she gave to my sister and I and the rest of our family, and in spite of her deep, abiding faith, my grandmother was a worrier. I mean, she worried about everything. Um, for, For example, she would not get in the driver's seat of a car. She refused to drive a car because she was worried that something would happen. If someone got sniffles, she was convinced it was going to turn into pneumonia. And some of, some of her worries were bordered, well, no, some of them were ridiculous. Um, I came home from school one day, and I found her crying in a room. And I said, Nanny, what's going on? She says, oh, someone died. And she was just, and I said, I thought someone in our family the you know, extended family, uh, and I, I began to ask her questions, you know, what, what, what happened? Who is it? Why, and, and finally I got out of her through her tears that one of the characters from her soap opera had died. Huh? <laughs> They're coming back? <laughs> oh, man, she could worry. In fact, she would make herself sick. She would worry so much that she would work herself into a migraine headache that would actually put her to bed. 
Today's passage of the sower, in these soils, Jesus warns his disciples of letting worries, possessions, and life's distraction inhibit the growth of God's word. Worries. And really, when it comes to possessions and life situations, that's what feeds our worries. At the very heart of these two verses is our worries. So we ask again this morning, what does this passage tell us about us? And what does this passage tell us about God? Let's pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength, our redeemer. May these words be your words, O God. Hide me behind the cross that all the words that I don't speak, that you would have me speak, that you would fill in the gaps in our spirit. And for all that I misspeak, O God, may you uh, correct them, that we would hear your word this day for our lives. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. The parable of the sower, just as an overview, is uh, Jesus basically saying to his disciples and followers, listen, listen, for the word of God is coming to you. And he uses the parable of the sower and the four soils as a metaphor for both warning and encouragement. We look at the second and third soils today and in in this parable we can we can kind of see what Jesus is doing he's encouraging us to receive God's word in such a way that it may grow and multiply and restore now there are those who take a look at this parable and and, and say there, that people fall into the four categories. But if you read the parable in its context, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that all of us at one time or another in our lives are like the hard path, for the seed can't even get into the soil. So, distracted and hard-headed... We are like uh, the shallow soil where the roots don't have room. To, we are like the, the seeds that fall in the thorns. We are, and then there are times in our life that we are healthy soil, deep and rich, where roots of God's presence can grow. So let's look, begin by looking at the second soil, Luke chapter 8, verse 6. And he says, some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Um, Luke's account literally is, um, some fell on rocks. And the word there in Greek is not just rock, but it is hard, unacceptable. And there are places in the New Testament where the word is used to describe hard-headed. Anybody recognize that? I know you probably recognize it in someone else in your family, right? It's Matthew and Mark that, that kind of expand the words of Jesus. And um, 
and that's where we get rocky soil because that's the, that's the word that they use, rocky soil. And what, uh, what Matthew and Lucas, what Matthew and Mark do is they give us more insight to what Jesus is actually saying in this parable. Both of them are identical. Some fell on rocky soil where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, it burned and wilted the plant. Now, it's not that these, uh, that Matthew and Mark are in conflict with Luke. It's, it's as if Luke is kind of summarizing and simplifying the parable. And, but for, for me, we can look at Matthew and Mark to get a greater, deeper understanding of what Jesus is trying to say here. Because they use two words that Luke doesn't use. First, they quote Jesus using the Greek word gin, translated soil. And the Hebrew word, like our counterpart, is a word, um, eretz. Eretz. Gin in, in Greek, eretz in Hebrew. And what's interesting about that word is that 20 times in chapter 1 of Genesis, as, the, as creation is described, Eretz is used to describe the place where God creates. It is the place that receives God's creation. And we look at chapter 1 of Genesis, it's this, everything God does, he does in the Eretz. Jesus was, uh, he knew the Old Testament. This is no accident that Jesus would, 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 would make this connection for his disciples. Jesus is saying that the good soil, our hearts, is that which receives the creative, redeeming, restoring presence of God. The word of God that brings life. In the parable, the rocks left no room for the soil. Where God's creative power could grow and multiply. In the parable, there is no place for power. There is no place for miracles. There is no place for restoration. There is no place for confidence. There is only shallowness. The second Greek word that's used here that's not used in Luke is a word, rizon. It's translated roots. And I'm not sure why Luke doesn't refer to the roots uh, uh, per se, but he, he he, he tells the story in a different way, but Matthew and Mark are very specific about roots. Now, the word is interesting also because the word roots, reads as, is, is used 17 times in the New Testament. Every time that it's used, it's used in such a way that indicates the growth and depth and connection with God through Jesus Christ. It is the roots that connect us. It, it is the roots 
that give us life. It is the roots that give us a, the, 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 uh, the conduit to God's power. So what does this tell us about ourselves? When our lives get too full, our connection to God dies. The next soil, which is not really a soil, it says, other seeds fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. It's not really a soil. The problem here is the thorny plant that chokes the seed. And both in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell it basically the same way. They use the word ekartha, um, which means uh, thorns. But in, in, not only in the Bible, but in other places where we find this word in, uh, find this word in, in New Testament Greek, it refers to a plant that is poisonous. And at the very least, if you get pricked by it, you're going to get hives. And in some cases, it can cause death. It fell among the poison. The poisonous plant. And, and the Greek word apotonigo, translated choked, properly means to cut off one's life supply, to suffocate, to make impossible to breathe or take in life. This gives us a fuller meaning to Jesus' explanation in verse 15 where he says that the thorns are life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They are poisonous to our souls. What does this tell us about ourselves? We were made for more than fear, worry, and self-indulgence. They are like poison to our soul. Did you hear that? I mean, none of us is going gonna, is gonna to drink poison. Or, uh, but, and yet we do that. We do that with our soul. When we lose connection with the, with the word of God and, 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 and so fill our lives with rocks and allow poisonous other activities to grow up that chokes out the opportunity for God to create, to restore to give us confidence and hope and miracles. Many things can get in the way of responding to Jesus. At times, we are one of the soils or the other. We can be initially drawn to Jesus, uh, drawn to God's word. But it is difficult to be a Christian in this world and, and, and we get questioned and we get, you know... Uh, and, and so we begin to doubt, and doubts lead to a lack of confidence, a thinning of the soil and the reception to God's word. Our interest wanes, and we drop out of sight. And at those times, our identity with Christ never sinks in. So we flirt with the Christian walk. Yeah, you know, we don't want to let it go completely. I mean, we want to hedge our bets, right? But do we really take the steps to cultivate the healthy soil that receives the word of God and lets it grow? And the, the, the distractions of this world are probably a whole lot greater than they were in Jesus' day. 
So this passage is as much for us, if not more so, than it was for the disciples and followers of Jesus in that day. And it is fair to say that most of us struggle not to let the affairs of life and the tyranny of the daily demands overwhelm us. But to keep God at a distance doesn't doesn't answer the questions of our souls. The hunger is still there, and we just try to fill it with other things. Things that don't satisfy the hunger. And so we just continue on. It is a cycle. And we worry. And it is multiplied. And instead of God's word and what God's creative word can do for us to be multiplied, it is the worries that are multiplied. So what does this parable tell us about God? Last week we discovered that the sower sowed indiscriminately on every soil. In other words, God never gives up on us. He's going to sow on the path, in the thorns, on the shallow ground, as well as the healthy equally. God never gives up on us. And, but as we look at these, we see something else about God. We, we see that God does not want us to be alone. God sees our need and the danger that is before us. We see that Jesus especially wants us to know the divine incarnation power of God through Jesus Christ that overcomes fear and worry. So what do we do to develop our hearts and to deepen the soil? Here's something that I do, and I kind of picked it up and developed it over the years. It's not really mine. Some of it has, comes from uh, what I learned in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Others is what I picked up uh, in, in my own prayer and devotion. But it works like this. It takes 10 minutes. Okay? Start out with two minutes of silence. Just listening. I, I pray a prayer that, I, uh, that is, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, just to try to clear my brain. Second, to list three blessings from the day before. Third, in just a couple of sentences to take one of those and describe it in a little more detail. Fourth, then to think about who it is that God is putting on my heart that I can connect with them. Write a note, send an email, or a text to tell them how much they mean to me or that I'm thinking and praying for them on this day. And then finally, to either use a study guide or a devotion that, that is scripturally based to connect ourselves with the scripture. Now, now here's what this process does. Um, the silence allows our bodies to relax that, and our minds to disconnect so that we can receive. To list and to write down those blessings connects our brain again to that which had happened the day before so it, it's harder to forget. And then to write out a description, we relive that blessing. And then when we uh, think about those who, um, those who are uh, upon our minds, it gives us the opportunity to put into action what God is putting on our heart. It is a way to make it real. And then the scripture then ties us back to the word of God. 
Now, <laughs> I would ask you and encourage you to do this for 30 days. 30 days. 30 days. That's five hours over 30 days, 10 minutes a day. You know what the average person, how much TV they watch in a week? What is it, 20 something hours? Five hours, 30 days, 10 minutes a day. Here's what we know. Their study was done a couple of years ago by Lifeway on a similar process. And here's what they found out. 80-something percent of the people that practice this kind of daily devotion and connecting saw their lives uh, with less worry, more productivity, greater confidence. The relationships were stronger. Their marriages were better. They, uh, it literally has a way of changing the mind that is connected to the heart and the soul. 30 days. 30 days. Deeper soil. Healthy soil. One of the last things that Jesus shares with his disciples, um, probably on the night that he was betrayed, it's, in fact, there's an extended uh, um, passage, uh, 14, 15, and 16, where Jesus is talking to his disciples, preparing them for what's coming, letting them know that they will not be alone. Of course, they don't know what, they don't know what Jesus is saying. They haven't made the connections yet. But at the end of chapter 16, verse 33, he says these words. He says, I've told you these things so that, you, uh, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is, a, for me, a true antidote for the poison of distractions and worries. Jesus admits that we're going to have challenges. But he tells his disciples, and those words ring down from generation to another, from, from one decade to another, from one century to another, to where we can read the words of Jesus, the promise of Jesus, that no matter what our worries Jesus has already overcome the world. It's our choice to live into it. Uh, by the way, my uh, grandmother was eventually released from her worry. It wasn't an easy path that she took. For the last 10 years of, his of her life, she fought cancer. Uh, toward the end, I was in seminary at the time, and... Uh, my parents weren't exactly honest with me. They uh, didn't want me worried. They knew how close that she and I were. And I got a call um, a week before Thanksgiving. And my mother said, uh, Johnny, we haven't really told you, but your grandmother's been really sick. Her cancer has spread to her, to her spine, to her brain, and to her lungs. And she just slipped into a coma. You need to come. I immediately got in the car and drove. I I can't remember whether I got to the hospital at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, but my mother was there, and we talked for a moment. I said, you know, Mother, I'm not going to sleep. Why don't you go home and get some rest, and I'll stay here. I didn't sleep. I prayed. I put my hands on her. I, I prayed for her. I spoke to her. I said goodbye to her. The, the next morning as the sun filtered through the 
the blinds in the hospital room. And just as they begin to kind of move up into her face, she began to blink. And her eyes came open, and she looked at me, and she said, Johnny, is that you? And I said, yeah. She said, give me my glasses. I want to see you. I, I really was her favorite. <laughs> and I said to her, I said, you know, Nanny, you're really sick. And she goes, I know. And I know you're probably worried about that. And she said something that <laughs> said, I am not worried about what is coming. I'm not worried about what is coming. And I looked at her kind of confused. She says, I know, I know. I've worried all my life. But one thing this cancer has taught me, and as I've read the scriptures, and as I've really uh, tried to find answers for what's been happening to me, what I've learned is that I have wasted a lot of my life worrying and being afraid. And I'm just not going to do it anymore. I know that my life is in the hands of Jesus. And she didn't. She got better for a while. She lasted another year. We spent a lot of time together as I would go over to Fort Worth and see her and we would share. And, and she knew what was coming and we talked honestly about it. But she met death with confidence and hope. She, um, <laughs> she said, I am not going to waste these last days worrying. I know that my life is in God's hands. It took her a long time to come to that point. Let's not waste another minute let us let the seed fall upon a healthy heart, ready to receive and grow and multiply, that the miracles and power of God would be poured out upon us. For God, God didn't heal my grandmother's body, but he did her soul. And I thank God Every day. Amen.